This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County in Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb Sycamore, and now 80.89.3 FM in Morris Joliet, covering much of Central and also some of Northern Illinois, and we're still growing. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. Remember, our show is brought to you by you, and any donations that anyone can make will always be appreciated. If you would like to make a donation, you can go to our website, and that's catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com. You'll find out more about us. You'll find out how to make a donation. And big or small, we're always glad to have a donation. Uh, we're going to, again, talk a little bit uh, today uh, about uh, a Bible study program that is coming on, uh, that, that is going to be put on coming here in, in February. My wife is going to talk more about that. And today I want to talk uh, a little bit about tr- tradition. I might touch on a couple of things to remind us all of the mad, 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 mad world that we live in. And I won't take too much time for that. But I'm going to turn this over to my wife. She's going to talk about uh, a Bible study that's coming on here in February. And next week, we're going to have a guest uh, from that uh, uh, Bible study that is going to talk about the Bible study itself. So stay with us next week for sure. So I'll turn this over to you, Lynn. Okay, thank you. The Bible study that's coming up is the Bible and the Church Fathers. This should be very interesting. You know, we have the Apostolic Fathers. They were the first ones. They did wrote. They had much to do with the putting together of Scripture. And they were intimately either knew the apostles themselves or their disciples. They were very close in time. For, uh, they go from about the year 80 to 200. But they were very, very, were very, very familiar with Christ and the apostles. Then we have the church fathers, which this will be about. And they go f- from the year uh, 200 to about 680, somewhere in there. And this is the group we'll be talking about. They wrote many things that have guided us in the church today, many uh, basic principles. To be a church father, they have to have four main characteristics. They have to exhibit in life the works of an early church leader and be a holy person and have contributed to the church doctrines and in defending them. So we've got, uh, there's quite a few of them, but Clement of Rome, Ignatius, Polycarp, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Cyprian, Anastasius, Basil, Cyril of Jerusalem, Ambrose, John Christostom, well, now I can say this any other time, Christostom, it's not right, Jerome, Augustine, Cyril, Cyril of Alexandria, and Pope Leo the Great, and Pope Gregory the Great. All of these live between 200 and 600. And when you read, even in the Mass, I think 
many of them are mentioned at the before the consecration in the uh, prayers. Most of them ended up being martyred too. But getting back to the uh, Bible study, the plans are to have it here in our conference room, and it will begin on February 16th, and it'll run from 6.30 p.m. in the evening to 7.45. If enough people enroll and want it and we don't have the room, there's arrangements with St. Mary's Church. The registration is $20, and you would contact Anthony Pecora, and you you can find his uh, email address and phone number on the the uh, online. Go to CatholicSpiritRadio.com, and there'll be a, a box that'll come up for the Bible study. It'll be great. You'll meet the great fathers of the church and see why the ancient faith is the Catholic faith and learn how the fathers approach Scripture. This is through the St. Paul Center, Journey Through Scripture. So this ought to be a very good program. And really, circle your calendar, save the date, 2-16-23. Hope to see you. And I think we'll find out a lot more about it next week, so stay tuned for us next week. And uh, Tony Picora will be uh, here at the radio station. He'll be talking about the Bible study and uh, in more detail, so we'll learn more about that at that time. And today I'm going to talk mostly uh, about uh, tradition and uh, how tradition, in effect, actually relates uh, a lot to the uh, March for Life that just went on uh, Friday in Washington, D.C., and so we'll, we'll, we'll introduce it uh, with a little bit about that as well. Uh, I said uh, at the beginning of the year here, we're going to have something old, something new. We're going to talk a little bit. One of the themes that we're going to have throughout the season is how we're living in a mad, mad world. And uh, I thought I'd at least each week give some example maybe of the madness that we have in our world. And so today's pick for that madness is uh, in New York City, uh, there is a program that's going on and it takes place in what they call the heroin house in New York City. And this program is supposed to provide a place for safe injection sites where addicts can go and inject drugs. And, uh, of course, this, this, this idea of injecting the, the, the drugs actually are bought by the people on the street. So they're bought uh, a lot, I suppose, illegally and uh, maybe some, some legally, but most probably illegally, illegal drugs bought out on the street. And then these addicts can take them to a safe, clean injection site where they're given needles and other paraphernalia to use drugs in these so-called clean places. Well, of course, what happened is is that the whole thing degenerated into a site where drug dealers congregate all around this so-called safe injection place called locally by the people the heroin house, although I doubt whether much heroin is used. The drugs that they use nowadays are much worse than that. And so these dealers gather all around the area to sell drugs to all the people coming. It's sort of a place where it makes it easier for the dealers because all they have to do is all congregate in one place and all of the uh, potential uh, customers come to them. And, of course, it's in an area where there are school children that uh, are not far from it. 
and uh, see this going on all the time. And it's an opportunity for dealers to entice other people to take drugs. And when you're talking about the word safe and something being promoted by the government, uh, I'm sure you get people that think, well, if the government is promoting this, it must be pretty safe. Maybe I'll go give it a try. I mean, this is a total insanity and uh, that we have in this mad, mad, mad world. Our politicians and people who are supposed to be taking care of our cities actually, in a way, promoting and catering to illegal uh, sales of drugs and illegal drug dealers. So... That's our, our uh, example of the mad world we live on for today. And as we go throughout the year, I'll try to touch on other things that are just as, as uh, you'd like to use the word silly, but uh, it's, if it weren't so sad and pathetic, uh, you really can't use that word. So anything you want to say on that, Lynn? <laughs> you got plenty of examples to uh, bring up. It's... I don't know, time of the Antichrist coming or what? There's just so much evil in this world, and it's stupidity. Exactly. I can't think of anything dumber than this. That makes you wonder with a lot of this stuff going on. I've told you before on this show that the, uh, the, the issue is usually never the issue when we look at the issue of the day. The issue is usually actually another issue that is really the, the uh aim of the people pushing it and the people that you see out that are actually at the the site the level doing it are simply people that are being uh, fooled and being used to carry out things that other people are doing for other purposes than it it seems so you wonder if this is part of that as well Uh, most of it is being done uh, in order to destroy divide our culture and our ability to uh, be agencies for ourselves and a people that are divided and confused and lose their agency are people that are easily ruled and so behind a lot of this in you know, at a higher level are people who are seeking money and power and uh, so uh, the people that are actually carrying out the program might feel important and think that they're doing, you know, they talk themselves into think that they're doing important work and so forth, but they're simply being used to carry out uh, plans that they don't know anything about from other people that are actually pulling the strings. And so we'll talk about that as we go along a little bit more. But right now, I want to talk about something specifically Catholic, and uh, that's the uh, uh, relates to the 50th annual March for Life that just took place here Friday. And during that march, uh, Franklin Graham, uh, the uh, son, I believe, of uh, Billy Graham, uh, a, a you know a very uh, yes. you know, a, a famous right preacher, and uh, and 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 Franklin Graham, I'm not uh, in any way detracting from him. He does a lot of good work, and uh, should be appreciated by Catholics. But he gave the uh, prayer to start the parade. And what I want to point out here is that in spite of all of his good work and the things, you know, that he does that we should be grateful for, uh, the fact is, is that from the Protestant point of view, from the strictly Bible point of view, which uh, Mr. Graham would, would certainly believe in, that uh, Christianity, you know, is, is contained 
in the Bible, that the Bible alone is the Word of God, and that's how you know most Protestants think, and I would guess that he thinks along those lines too. Uh, I'm not deadly sure on that, but uh, if he goes along with the regular Protestant uh, thinking, uh, it is the Bible that is primary, the primary thing. But by the Bible alone, you can't really defend against abortion, and uh, you need Catholic tradition in order to do that. And I'm going along here, you know, to show you why and how important Catholic tradition is. And one of my purposes here is that Catholics need to start understanding how important their religion is, how important many of these doctrines and the moral teachings that follow from them built our civilization. And we need to start understanding again uh, how important the church is. In fact, we need to call attention to some of the clerics and so forth in the church as to how important orthodoxy and how important our tradition is and how important all of these things are to a solid defense of uh, orthodox Christian civilization. And it can't be done from simply the point of the Bible alone. And uh, I've gone over this a little bit before, but I want to really make it clear that these things are not just something esoteric or something for Catholics that where it's nice to know, but uh, you don't need to really go into it. You do. And Catholics need to start being proud of their church and their regular Orthodox uh, teachings and how they came about, where they came from, why they are there, and why our, our society is starting to fall apart without them. And if you're looking around wondering what in the world is happening, uh, in our society and why are our kids in such threatening situations and so forth. A lot of it is because we have lost the roots that built the Christian civilization. And those roots don't just go back to, to scripture. They go back to as important as scripture. And that is the actual sacred tradition that was handed to us by Jesus Christ. So let's start here. Let's start uh, with one. I want to talk about the things that Protestants themselves take for granted that are traditional in their Catholic tradition and Protestants, even though they preach that everything is to be found in the Bible, they take these things for granted. And there are a number of things that are not found in the Bible. I'm going to name them. And then I'm going to talk about one, which is the sanctity of life. And, uh, that is the things that are not found in the Bible, yet, and yet Protestants go along with them as being absolutely necessary to Christianity, and they cannot be actually uh, proved by the Bible itself. You have to go deeper than that, and that is the table of contents of the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible, in the New, New, New Testament I'm, I'm talking about here in this case, there's nothing in the New Testament, and for the Old Testament either, for that matter, that tells us what the table of contents of the Bible is, which books should be in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say how many should be in there. It doesn't tell you what books uh, that uh, are in there should be in there. How, how do you get that? By what authority do you decide which books go in the Bible? How do you know that Mark is Mark or Luke is Luke? How do you know that they belong in the Bible? How do you know Matthew belongs in the Bible? How do you know Paul belongs in the Bible? The Bible doesn't tell you any of those things, and it can't give you the answer. Another one is the sanctity of human life. Uh, that's always been important and in, in treated in a certain way by Christianity from the get-go. 
but the Bible is not a reliable source for the sanctity of life. And we'll go into that today in just a, a little bit here and show you why. Uh, another thing is polygamy, uh, Christianity, basic Christianity, Catholic Christianity, and most of the Protestant Christian, Christianity uh, for a long time and, and even today is uh, solidly against polygamy. It believes that uh, marriage is between, you know, one, one man and one woman. Uh, the Trinity, there's nothing in the Bible where you can actually prove the Trinity. There are hints at all of these things, but there isn't any definite. And then finally, the closure of revelation, the, the closure of public revelation also is something that's not in the Bible that Catholics and Protestants take for granted. So we're going to stop here and take a break, and uh, we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about how important uh, tradition is to the March for Life, the sanctity of human life, how important it is to that movement, and how that movement has no solid rock to sit on without tradition. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Learn more about your Christian family tree. Catholic Spirit Radio and Historic St. Mary's Church in Bloomington invite you to a study on the Bible and the Church Fathers. Attend via Zoom or in person beginning February 16th with 12 beautifully produced lessons and group discussions, you'll meet the great fathers of our church and learn what they believed. Register with coordinator Anthony Pecora at 309-750-9062. Learn more at catholicspiritradio.org. Catholic Spirit Radio is here for you 24 hours a day. And just by tuning in, we help you learn about the beauty of the Catholic faith. If you're listening today and liking what you hear about the truths and traditions of the Catholic faith, maybe this is the time that you take a bold step. Whether you desire to become a Catholic, wish to return to the Catholic faith or simply want to know more about the faith. Find out how to take the first step by inquiring at any of the local Catholic churches, asking a Catholic friend, or contacting Catholic Spirit Radio. God's welcoming and loving arms found in the Catholic faith are waiting for you. We pray for our listeners and their heavenly requests. Surrounded by the love and support of our prayers, we pray that your load feels lighter and your hope brighter. We at Catholic Spirit Radio will pray for your special intentions. Use the new prayer request button found on our website at catholicspiritradio.com and be assured that our spirit prayer team will pray for you. If you have a preschool or kindergartner, St. Mary's Catholic School in Bloomington invites you to its open house Thursday, February 9th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Visit the school to hear about the three- and four-year-old programs, which offers small class sizes, weekly mass, kindergarten Spanish, and lunches prepared on site. Attend our preschool and kindergarten open house February 9th and be entered for a $1,000 tuition credit. Love, live, learn, and serve as Christ taught us. It's a way of life at St. Mary's School in Bloomington. stmaryschool.net Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break, and we're talking about Catholic tradition and uh, sacred tradition, the, the tradition that was handed from Jesus Christ to the apostles and uh, from the apostles on to the rest of the church all the way on down to our time. This tradition was oral. Christ really didn't write anything down. And he taught the uh, apostles by oral teaching and showing and doing and uh, taking them uh, around on his mission and then showing them how to complete that mission to the rest of the world. All of that was done 
from an oral point of view and from simply a physical uh, point of view of, of actually doing things. It was not uh, anything that was put into Scripture. Scripture didn't come about uh, the New Testament, for for example, for a long time after that. Yet Christianity was practiced uh, for many, many years before Scripture even came into being. Uh, one of the things we were talking about that was uh, handed on by tradition that Protestants believe in just as much as Catholics do, and they can't really show it from Scripture, and I'm going to show why here, is the sanctity of human life. And that was really one of the topics talked about at the, uh, of course, at the uh, March for Life, the 50th March for Life that took place here uh, just uh, Friday, you know, past here. At any rate, let's, I'm going to read from uh, a book by Mark Shea, and the title of that book is By What Authority? And I would suggest as a Catholic, if you don't have it, you ought to get it. It's very, very readable. And uh, the subtitle is An Evangelical Discovers Catholic Tradition. And it's put out by Ignatius Press. And I'm sure you can order it through uh, a number of— Amazon has everything. Amazon would probably have it. You can get it at Barnes & Noble, I'm sure, uh, bookstore, and uh, get it there as well. But it is a, you can buy it in paperback. It's not that expensive and is very, very readable. Uh, Marche is a, a good writer and uh, very, very fun to read, really. And he, he gives his whole uh, history of his arrival at the Catholic uh, tradition uh, by hit and miss, uh, studying the Bible as an evangelical. And that's what he says here. An evangelical discovers Catholic tradition. And he puts down here how this happened to him, how he discovered it, and how he came to realize that the Bible itself rests on tradition and that he couldn't really even justify what books belong in the Bible without that Catholic tradition. And uh, discovered that Catholic tradition was not at all what he thought it was. And uh, it's very, very interesting to read, but it's very enlightening. So let's go ahead and read from uh, the chapter here in his book called, uh, it's chapter six in his book, and this part of it is called The Sanctity of Human Life and how it rests on, the defense of it rests on Catholic tradition. He says, arguably the most pressing issue of our time is the question of the sanctity of human life from conception to natural death. While you are reading this book, several thousand preborn babies ranging in age from first trimester to full term, are going to be safely, cleanly, and legally suctioned, burned, dismembered, or decapitated by skilled professionals who collect large paychecks, walk their dogs, drink soda pop, and appear to the naked eye as ordinary human beings. And this was actually referred to at the March for Life on Friday. Uh, They had... uh, on the television screen, uh, information showing that as the March for Life went on, how many babies uh, were being killed uh, during the the period of the March for Life. And if I remember, I don't know how long into it was, I can just remember one figure as 36,000 something. And that, of course, was not, you know, into, that was not anywhere near uh, the end of the the program, so you know, a lot more happened later on. At any rate, 
He goes on, as this evil occurs, a bewildered modern society, long ago cut adrift from its Christian roots, will not recoil in horror, but will instead flop its hands passively in its lap, register a fuddled shrug of discomfort, and continue lacking the capacity to tell whether or not this is bad. And that applies also to other things as well, to some of the other topics that I'm going to talk about, you know, in this mad, mad world. Occasionally, when it is in the mood for righteous indignation, it will watch a Holocaust documentary on cable TV and shake its head at how the people of Germany could have permitted permitted such a thing. Meanwhile, the culture of death will not sleep. Rather emboldened by our moral paralysis in the face of so obvious an evil, the purveyors of choice will ask ever more loudly, if we can do these things when the tree is green, what can we get away with when it is dry? If the life of the helpless infant is cheap when the economy is strong, why not the life of the disabled, the aged, and the sick when medical costs skyrocket? And we're starting to get some of that. It's starting to be pushed in, in Canada, and I think even a lot of it is starting to be pushed here. It's sort of like uh, under the the wire right now under the transom you might say and uh not not so much uh in public yet but it's coming so as the acquiescence to abortion proceeds apace thousands of other apparently ordinary people are working day and night and with steadily growing success to acquire the right for qualified medical professionals to kill innocent human beings whose lives are quote unworthy of being lived they live for the late Dr. Jack Kevorkian's dream of medicide clinics, where patients can be killed by means of physician-assisted suicide. To that end, initiatives and court cases proliferate across the country, seeking to grant not the right to die, we already have that, but the power of doctors and the state to kill. It seems, therefore, obvious to me that the question of the sanctity of life is a bedrock of Christian morals. If the protection of human life from conception to natural death isn't essential to Christian teaching, then what is? Surely here we ought to find a sharp dichotomy between the modern church and the modern world, right? Wrong. The plain fact is things don't break down that way. On one side of the cultural divide are not only secularists, but alas, many liberal Protestants and some lapsed Catholics who, with trembling devotion to the spirit of the age, dutifully parrot the rhetoric that those who defend human life are anti-choice. The champions of the unborn, the sick and the aging, though, do have allies in the Christian church, not only in the present, but in the past. For not only the Dark Ages, but absolutely all of Christianity for 21 centuries stands staunchly behind these defenseless ones against the extremely recent theologically liberal apologists for the culture of death. That is why we can scarcely find a shred of Christian theology written in favor of abortion and euthanasia before the 1960s and 1970s. From the first century to the present, a shoreless ocean of testimony from every sector of the church decries this terrible crime against God and humanity. 
I am proud to number myself among the ranks of pro-life Christians and will never waver from this commitment. But as I began to argue my position with liberal Christians who supported the so-called right to choose, I did begin to waver in something. My conviction that the irrefutable basis for our pro-life conviction as evangelicals is scripture alone. I know the verses that are quoted, quote, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And that's uh, Psalms 139 to 13. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's Jeremiah 1 5 and so forth. I certainly agree that these verses bear oblique witness to a pro-life position. Indeed, I emphatically agree that the pro-life position is an obvious fact of Christian teaching throughout all ages. And I want to point out here that uh, there are you know, Catholics and Catholic churches that use these same quotes as if somehow or another they are proof you know, of the uh, pro-life position. But they are not, as we are going to see. And so I think Catholics themselves need to start turning more to their sacred tradition and understanding that only in sacred tradition will we find a solid defense of uh, the pro-life position. So it goes on here. It says, uh, I do. I began to realize that I could not make opposition to abortion and devotion to the sanctity of preborn life an intrinsic, absolutely essential, utterly non-negotiable part of the Christian faith on the basis of Scripture alone. For the fact is, a modern apologist for the culture of death can and does argue that Scripture alone, apart from tradition, is as ambiguous about abortion as it is about the question of just war versus pacifism. And therefore, abortion is a matter of, quote, Christian liberty. Consider, neither testament gives a clear understanding of the status of unborn life. Is the fetus a human person, possessing the same dignity as a child after birth? Is the conceptus, is the act of directly causing the death of such a one an act of murder? or some lesser offense. Is it an offense at all? No direct answer is ever attempted to these questions anywhere in Scripture. Worse, the indirect ways in which Scripture addresses these issues are very oblique and open to multiple interpretations, apart from tradition. Thus, Exodus 21-22 reads, If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman, and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and a court will allow. But if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, and wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now, far more questions are raised by this passage than are answered. If we are left to interpret it without reference to Jewish and Christian tradition, as certain pro-abortion Christians urge us to do. For instance, the Hebrew word that is here translated, gives birth prematurely, is in fact much more flexible than this. It means departs and can be read as give birth, gives birth prematurely or as spontaneous abort, spontaneously aborts. So does the caveat about serious injury apply to the woman? 
or to the miscarried child. We don't know in that situation. <clears throat> Does the law demand wound for wound for the mother's injury or for the unborn's? If the mother is not seriously injured, but the child dies, is this what is meant by no serious injury? We don't know. It could mean that exactly. It could mean no serious injury has happened if the mother is uh, not hurt, but the baby still dies. The text does not say, nor does the rest of Scripture help us. Similarly, the New Testament does not tell us how to understand another difficult Old Testament passage. Numbers 5, 20, 27. This strange text prescribes an ordeal for suspected adulteresses in which the suspected woman is placed under oath and made to drink bitter water that brings a curse. The purpose of the ordeal was to call down a divine curse on the adulteresses such that if she is guilty, the curse will enter into her and cause bitter pain. Her womb shall discharge and her uterus drop. What was discharged was the child conceived in adultery. In other words, she's given this potion to drink, and a curse is called down on her if she actually committed adultery. And therefore, if she did, and she loses her baby, then it is considered that uh, she was guilty. But nothing is said here about losing the baby. I mean, this is talking about actually an abortion being performed on the woman if she's guilty of adultery. Thus, if we do not have any larger tradition for understanding such a text, if we let Scripture interpret Scripture, as we evangelicals say, it seems that Scripture does not automatically lend itself to an irrefutable case for the sanctity of every human life from conception to natural death, as the Catholic Church teaches. At this we evangelicals may attempt to create that larger interpretive context by letting Scripture interpret Scripture again. We might raise the counterexample of John the Baptist, moved by the Spirit in Elizabeth's womb, when Mary arrived in Luke 141. Is not this a strong indication that even unborn children are persons responsive to the Spirit of God? Is it not a pretty darn good hint that unborn babies are people too? Of course it is. That is, it's a strong indication, a hint, a sign, a good possibility. It is not incontrovertible proof that all children are similarly graced with supernatural gifts, including the supernatural gift of personhood, when they are yet unformed in their mother's wombs. Thus, I know Christians who have actually taken this text as a license for first-trimester abortions, since babies cannot be felt to kick in utero before the second trimester. Such Christians are living proof that the bare text of Scripture, apart from the interpretive tra tradition of Christendom, says nothing clear and definite about abortion or human development anywhere. Instead, it gives only signs, clues, and hints that individual Christians, forsaking that tradition, can and do interpret in ways that directly contradict one another. In other words, it causes more confusion than it solves. Okay, the evangelical says, maybe John the Baptist isn't biblical proof of the pro-life position, but what about our Lord himself? 
Surely the personhood of the second person of the Trinity at his conception lends his dignity to all human beings from conception onward, so that whatever you did for one of the least of these applies supremely here. Now, I happen to agree with this argument, Mark Shea says, but I have spoken with other well-meaning, Bible-believing Christians, most of them strongly pro-life, who don't. They are they see no such extension of Christ's dignity to us by the mere fact that Christ was born a human being. They know that Christ is speaking of the least of these brothers of mine and argue that we become his brothers and God's children, not by being born, but by being born again. They fear that to protect the unborn child on this basis is ultimately to mislead people into thinking we are holy when we are merely human. So even that argument can be counter-argued by people in order to try and protect their idea of what the Bible means and and not protect the babies from abortion. Of course, I have counter-arguments to all this. And they, of course, have counter-counter-arguments. Till between us, you can't count the counters. But this is hardly evidence of the undeniable clarity of Scripture alone on this crucial point of Christian ethics. We're going to have to stop here and take a break, and we'll come back and and finish this. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Learn more about your Christian family tree. Catholic Spirit Radio and Historic St. Mary's Church in Bloomington invite you to a study on the Bible and the Church Fathers. Attend via Zoom or in person beginning February. 16th. With 12 beautifully produced lessons and group discussions, you'll meet the great fathers of our church and learn what they believed. Register with coordinator Anthony Pecora at 309-750-9062. Learn more at catholicspiritradio.org. Catholic Spirit Radio is here for you 24 hours a day. And just by tuning in, we help you learn about the beauty of the Catholic faith. If you're listening today and liking what you hear about the truths and traditions of the Catholic faith, maybe this is the time that you take a bold step. Whether you desire to become a Catholic, wish to return to the Catholic faith, or simply want to know more about the faith, find out how to take the first step by inquiring at any of the local Catholic churches, asking a Catholic friend, or contacting Catholic Spirit Radio. God's welcoming and loving arms found in the Catholic faith are waiting for you. We pray for our listeners and their heavenly requests. Surrounded by the love and support of our prayers, we pray that your load feels lighter and your hope brighter. We at Catholic Spirit Radio will pray for your special intentions. Use the new prayer request button found on our website at catholicspiritradio.com and be assured that our spirit prayer team will pray for you. If you have a preschool or kindergartner, St. Mary's Catholic School in Bloomington invites you to its open house Thursday, February 9th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Visit the school to hear about the three- and four-year-old programs, which offers small class sizes, weekly mass, kindergarten Spanish, and lunches prepared on site. Attend our preschool and kindergarten open house February 9th and be entered for a $1,000 tuition credit. Love, live, learn, and serve as Christ taught us. is a way of life at St. Mary's School in Bloomington. stmaryschool.net Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic. We're back from our break. 
we've been talking about tradition, and we've been talking about how important tradition is to the pro-life movement, and how without Catholic tradition, the the Bible absolutely is not a a defense uh, against abortion, and it can't be used as a defense against abortion. It can be interpreted in, in a number of ways, some of them uh, pro-life, but some of them also pro-abortion. So by itself, the Bible is, is not anything solid to stand on. Without the in understanding of the Bible through the eyes and lens of Catholic tradition, uh, it's impossible to defend uh, the sanctity of life by the Bible alone. And we're reading from Mark Shea, By What Authority? An Evangelical Discovers Catholic Tradition, and he begins to understand that Christianity itself can't defend uh, against abortion without understanding Scripture through the lens and eyes of Catholic tradition. And he goes on, he says, like we were talking here about how all, even the idea that John the Baptist uh, flipped in uh, uh, Mary's womb when she visited uh, her cousin, that, that even that by a lot of evangelicals is not taken as proof uh, that uh, the unborn baby needs to be protected. In fact, some of them use it to argue that during the first trimester, abor- abortions can be permitted. And then someone goes in, on and says, or Mark Shea goes on and says, well then, someone proposes, maybe scripture says so little because abortion was uh, unheard of back at that time. After all, you don't pass laws against speeding if no one has yet invented the automobile. Well, the difficulty with this theory is that it simply isn't true. Abortion predates Christianity by centuries, and it flourished in pagan culture then as it flourishes in our quasi-pagan culture now. That is why the Didache, a manual of Christian instruction composed around A.D. 80 during the lifetime of the Apostle John and the Gospel writers commands, You shall not procure an abortion. You shall not destroy a newborn child. Nor was the Didache alone in this. The subsequent writings of the post-apostolic period are simply unanimous when it comes to Christian teaching on this subject. For them, abortion is contrary not so much to the Bible as to the holy faith they received from their predecessors. Thus Basil the Great writes in 374, a woman, who has a, delib- a woman who has deliberately destroyed a fetus must pay the penalty for murder. In other words, by this time, they were calling it murder. And they were reaching back to their own tradition that, that came with the teaching to them and the teaching to the apostles by Jesus Christ. And the teaching that was handed down from the apostles to them. So we have sacred tradition being handed to the apostles and then being handed on from the apostles to their successors, and then being handed on through the church all the way down to us now. And this is what uh, anti-abortion, this is what pro-life rests on among Catholicism. And like you say, for thousands of years, it was considered a horrible sin to do this. And it wasn't until the restart of our current and modern pagan culture that abortion became possible again to be uh, allowed by the Supreme Court. Yet for Basil, as for the rest of the fathers, this teaching, like many others, has been preserved not only in Scripture, but in the church, as he himself says. 
of the dogmas and kerygmas preserved in the church, some we possess from written teaching, and others we receive from the tradition of the apostles handed on to us in mystery in respect to piety, both are of the same force. No one will contradict any of these. No one, at any rate, who is even moderately versed in manners ecclesiastical. Indeed, were we to try to reject unwritten customs as having no great authority, we would unwillingly injure the gospel in its vitals. In other words, he understands these teachings came from Jesus Christ himself. They're sacred. They were handed on to the apostles, and the apostles handed them on down. They were never put into the Bible. At least they weren't put into the Bible in such a way that they are are solidly put in a way that are solid enough to actually prove that we can stand on the Bible to uh, oppose abortion. In short, the faith of the faith of which the fathers speak, including his pro-life ethic, is revealed not merely by Scripture alone, by by but by Scripture rightly understood and only rightly understood in the context of a larger tradition that is just as much from God as the scripture it interprets. In other words, that tradition is just as important as, as the scripture itself. It reveals the, the word of God to us itself. So in other words, scripture alone is not the word of God. Scripture and tradition are the word of God. And scripture has to be seen through the lens of tradition. If it isn't seen through the lens of tradition, it can't stand against abortion. It can't stand for pro-life. And Mark goes on. He says, I began to realize that the total pro-life paradosis, that is the total pro-life tradition, was scripture, or the, the, the total pro-life teaching, I'm sorry, was scripture and tradition together distinct, yet an organic unity, like the head and the heart, the right hand and the left hand. Scripture gave light, but a very scattered light on this moral issue. The tradition acted like a lens, bringing that dancing light into focus. Tradition without scripture was a darkened lens, without a light. But likewise, scripture without tradition was, on this vital issue, a blurry, unfocused light, without a lens. So what he's saying here is just like Catholicism teaches that both faith and reason are important. You have to have faith and reason. You can't have one without the other. You also need scripture and tradition. You can't have one without the other. In Catholicism, we find this dichotomy all the way through things, uh, this idea of both and. You have to have both. You have to have faith and reason. You have to have scripture and tradition, and you get rid of one without the other, and Christianity begins to unravel. You can't defend it. In reasoning this, I realized that evangelicals were no different from Catholics on this score. Like all Christians before us till the time of the Didache, we were not treating this tradition, the tradition of pro-life interpretation, as a fallible human reading of scripture. Rather, we treated it as absolutely authoritative and therefore as revealed. In other words, Protestants take it for granted, most of them at least, that human life is sacred, murder is wrong, of course, and that abortion is wrong. 
But they don't understand that when they take this, they can't defend it on the idea of Scripture alone. There are many other things, of course, that can't, also can't be defended as Scripture alone. And I name the, the ones to you. For example, it can't be defended that the Bible contains the number of books it does, nor what those books are, by the Bible alone. You have to go outside the Bible to do that. And to do that, you have to have an authority. Who is the authority for the Protestants or for anybody else for that matter besides the Catholic Church? If you go outside the Bible, who gets to decide what books are in the Bible? Well, according to a lot of the modern secularists and a lot of the moderns who decide that they want to have their own particular canon of Scripture, what argument do you have against them? The question that they can ask is, by what authority do you, they could ask a Protestant this, by what authority do you have to say that your Bible consists of the books that it does? Where do you get that authority? Why can't we reinterpret your Bible and put in it the books that we want? And a lot of the, this modern movement is doing just that. They're saying, say, that, for example, the evangel, evangel of Jude should go in there. The book of Jude should be in there. There, rather the book of Judas, I'm, I'm saying. Or there are other books that should go in there. Or they can pick anything they want that should go in there. Why shouldn't they? Since it's arbitrary that Protestants do, because Protestants can't reach to, to uh, any proof of why their Bible should be the way it is. But the Catholic Church can. When it says, by what authority we can point back all the way to Jesus Christ himself. When he took the apostles out to Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them, who do you say that I am? And they began to answer him in various ways. Some of them said, we think that uh, you're Elijah. Uh, Some of us do. Others say that uh, you're one of the prophets. And then he asked Simon Bar-Jonah, who do you say that I am? And Simon Bar-Jonah says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, But he says, this was not made known to you by your own knowledge. This was made known to you by my Father in heaven. In other words, it was revealed by God himself to Peter that who Jesus Christ was. And then he tells Peter, he says, you know, you are rock. He names him Peter, which means rock. You are rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he names Peter as his successor. Peter is the head of the church. And he says, whoever hears you, hears me. And whoever hears me, hears the one who sent me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. And then he blesses all the apostles in the same manner and gives them that authority as well. And, of course, when Judas falls away, the apostles appoint a successor. And we see a succession all the way from Peter and the apostles down through the ages. We can name the Catholic Church all the popes, all the way from Peter on. And uh, I'm not going to go into all that now, but uh, we can name all of those. And so we can trace the church all the way back to the time of Christ and how the church was formed and how the church was made and the authority it was given. And so Christianity stands or falls on Catholic tradition, on the tradition that was given to it by Jesus Christ orally and handed down through the ages. 
some of which, of course, was put into the Bible, but not all of it, and some of which was put into the Bible, but is not entirely clear without that oral tradition. The apostles didn't see a need to put every detail into Scripture because they had oral tradition that was handed on to them. They not only wrote the Scripture, but they could also say what the Scripture meant and explain it, and that's exactly what they did. And they were also told by Jesus Christ to guard it, to guard it against change uh, and make sure that it was handed on to responsible people who could carry it, carry it forward. And that's exactly what we've done. And our Protestant friends have rejected this. And because they have, they really can't defend Christianity based on the Bible alone. If we're going to have a solid Christianity, it has to be based on the tradition and scripture both. And it has to go all the way back to the sacred tradition of Jesus Christ handed on to his disciples and handed on by his disciples to the successors and on all the way on down to our time. And it has to be guarded and it has to be the same. In other words, the important dogma that was given to us can't be changed. If it is, Christianity goes by the wayside. And pretty soon, you can't defend anything in Christianity. And it can be manipulated and changed by secularism and the moderns simply by attacking the church with the idea of, by what authority do you have your Bible and by what authority do you interpret it? And a Catholic Christian says, I have the authority of my Bible and I have the authority to interpret it by the power of Jesus Christ who handed it on from himself to his apostles and from his apostles through his further disciples and successors all the way down to this day. And without that solid base, the defense of most Christian principles and dogmas go right out the window. And that's exactly what is happening. And that's why it's so important for the people in that march to understand, and many of them don't and know, that uh, without that Catholic tradition, their defense will soon go by the wayside. Even though many Protestants deny Catholic tradition, they live by it. But they take it for granted without thinking about it and don't understand where it came from. And we need to explain that not only to them, but to ourselves and hang on to it. And we need to defend it and realize how important it is. There are even people in the church who are trying to change it and want to uh, accommodate to the modern trends that are destroying not only our country, but all of Western civilization. And so if we don't hang on to it, this is uh, the danger that we face. And so every Catholic should know how important his Catholic tradition is. He should know what it is, and he should be very, very proud of it and understand that even some of the things he takes for granted, maybe he sees in front of his church or somewhere else a sign saying something like, I knew you in your womb and so forth, and takes for granted that that could defend against uh, abortion or that that uh, solidifies the pro-life position. It does not. It does not unless it is interpreted through the tradition that was handed on to us. It can't. And that tradition is what makes uh, Scripture uh, understandable to us and how we interpret it. And without it, it's up for grabs. And this is why we find among Protestantism so many different interpretations of Scripture and uh, very few of the dogmas that really can be solidly identified. And my evangelicals simply say much of Scripture 
every evangelical has the liberty to interpret for himself, and many of those things have turned into contradictions against each other, and they simply won't stand against the secular and modern world. So at any rate, we're going to have to stop here. Is there anything further that you want to talk about, Lynn, before we, we've got a few minutes before we stop? I just wanted to add in 1 Maccabees 1 and 2, and it's at uh, verse 7, Alas, why was I born to see this ruin of my people? Good point. Again. That's uh, been the cry of humanity for, since the beginning, I think. Yes, it is. And if we're going to have a solid foundation of Christianity, that foundation has to be based on the tradition that was handed down from Jesus Christ himself. Right. And has come down to us through the ages. There is no possible way to defend against many things by using the Bible alone or even understand the Bible and how it should be read by using the Bible alone. And this is why we have 35,000 different denominations of Protestantism and only one of Catholicism, even though Catholicism is severely under attack and there are liberal uh, ideas in the Catholic Church itself trying to deviate from the very teachings that Jesus Christ handed on. Those teachings are sacred, and they make up what we call sacred tradition, and they don't come from somebody's interpretation of the Bible on his own. They come from the teaching of Jesus Christ himself handed on through his church. He did not form a Bible. He formed a church, and he taught that church by showing and doing and preaching. And the Word of God has to be oral as well as written. So, exactly. At any rate, we'll say our prayer. St. Michael, Michael, the archangel, archangel defend, defend us in battle. battle. Be our, our protection, protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruined souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio 